Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of The Dive. I'm Jat, joined by Kobe and Azale. Today we'll be talking about the Echo Fox vs. Clutch remake, Mad Life Retiring, which was really sad for me to hear, SKT Spoilers. their wow. entire roster, as well as Pat and NALCS discussion. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing uh, pretty good. Uh, feeling much better today. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing great. Excited to, to get back into League of Legends and uh, happy to talk about it. Yeah, so for those of you who may have missed it, there was a pretty big and pretty controversial ruling in the Echo Fox versus Clutch Gaming game. Uh, I used to call it match, but now we just play a game, so it's one and the same. Anyway, they had about an 11,000 gold lead. There was a Talia bug that happened that wasn't chrono breakable. So then they had to make the call of whether or not to replay the game or declare a victory. And we say that, and even that can be a bit of a surprise because we've actually never declared a victory. So, Kobe, I know you want, I'll start you off. What well, you- I mean, yeah, we, we just have to first lay the baseline here, right? Because this is a, a first time call, right? We've never, mm-hmm. we've never called a game before. But the reason why, uh, you know, that rule is kind of was put in place in the first place is that. If you remake every single game, no matter what, that has a bug, then, you know, is that really fair to the team that is, you know, so far ahead, they're about to win the game or, you know, what what kind of percentage chance to win, uh, you know, for one of the teams do you have mm-hmm. to get to before you're like, okay, that's enough. You know, we're not going to reset this back to zero and, uh, you know, reset champ select and all those things. Right. So at least that's like the baseline where where this came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we can dive more into the wording uh, on the rule and kind of the implications that come out of it and, and how you go about something as tricky as, you know, deciding a game like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it is going to be, it's it's a hard decision no matter what, right? Like, it's one of those situations that as soon as the game couldn't be reset to where it was from, both decisions suck. It's just that, like, if, if you're clutch and the game gets called against you, that sucks and, and you should be pissed, right? And and if you're Echo Fox and the game gets restarted, that sucks and you should be pissed as well. Like, I, I've had these situations happen to me in, in, in tournaments and one of the things that a lot of people, you know, I saw talking about online was, well... If Echo Fox is the better team and you remake the game, well, shouldn't they just win again anyway? But I think, you know, that's disregarding a lot of things. Like I've had, you know, not the exact same situation. It's a different game, but essentially where I'm about to win a game, the some the other player DC in, is in WoW. wow. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, they force a remake, right? And it's like, no cooldowns left. You're about to kill them, whatever, right? And and that's totally disregarding, like, the, the mental effect that it has on you. Like I had this happen to me at a tournament where a player DC'd at like 5% health right before we kill them and they forced to remake it. Like I was, first of all, we argued it for a long time. And then by the time that it was uh, forced into a remake, I was so unbelievably tilted <laughs> that it was like not, it's not like replaying the same game. And that's even disregarding the fact that Echo Fox wouldn't have been able to use Talia jungle, like because that was what kind of caused the issue. So they wouldn't have been able to even have the same draft you're giving away uh, the surprise factor of Huni on Talia Jungle, of the Rengar top for Dardoch, and all these different things. So, like, it would never have been a true reset of the game. Um, and, you know, both both sides are going to be frustrating. Well, but so. Listen, like, when I was on the analyst desk getting, like, a few updates of what was happening, I was very surprised when we said, Echo Fox wins, move mm-hmm. on, yeah. because we'd never done it before. And I'd also uh, read the rules about like awarding game victory 
Um, league officials, in their sole discretion, may determine that a team cannot avoid defeat to a degree of reasonable certainty. And then they have like a bunch of guidelines yeah. where they are meant to give a lot of wiggle room and, according to league ops, don't necessarily need to be set. But I think the fact that that language is so strong, when we have this discussion on the analyst desk of, hey, could Clutch Gaming win from this situation? If I'm trying to put a number on it, on the desk I actually did, I said, I think this is a 90-10 game for mm-hmm. Fox over Clutch, meaning Clutch has a 10% chance of winning. But based on that language, you think, there's a chance they're going to remake because bugs are always bad for everyone, yep. and it has to do that. And I do want to very quickly also say how rare this situation is because we do have Chrono Break now. So the way Chrono Break works is it essentially just takes the file from the old game replays it up to any point that you want and then restarts again this bug had a few different issues it was a server crash so it's hard to recover the file in the first place that took a large amount of time this is why the pause was so long and then when they did recover it the game crashed again anyways because of the nature of the bug yeah so it's it's relatively rare that you can't chrono break but when you're now in these situations again your only two options are either full remake or say that a team won, which, by the way, based on the rules, had never been done before, which is why I was very surprised that they did it. Yeah, so one of the things to me, uh, what you would want to do, um, like you said, you were, you felt like you could put a number on it, right? Mm-hmm. So what you would want to do to be most fair when you're writing a rule like this would be to come up with some breakpoint where you're like mm-hmm. past you know, 90% or whatever. Uh, you know, that's when it's remade and everyone can kind of agree on the rules. However, the difficulty in coming up with that rule set um, lies in in the fact that our game changes so much. So even if I want to go back, I want to make a 95% confidence interval um, based on game state and all these towers and kills and, you know, a- a- all these different metrics mm-hmm. that we can collect over a large sample of data, which would be made like, uh, season of League of Legends, mm. something like that. Even if I go back and I make that interval, the meta is completely different now, right? Yeah, seven and, towers and we can both now. Completely disagree on what yeah, that means. Seven towers now means something completely different. Literally on, yeah. on like a so, different patch because the towers actually do different things, or Baron actually does different things. Yeah. Um, so that is a huge wrinkle in actually coming up with hard metrics and lines mm-hmm. and numbers for when you're definitely going to reset. And then the problem becomes, are you, as Zealous is, is saying, going to take away the hard work that the winning team did to get the game to this state? Mm-hmm. And maybe there's you know added things like champ select or there's a one-time role swap that's been revealed. Or are you going to take away the hard work that the losing team did to keep mm-hmm. themselves you know, with X chance of coming back in this game? And there are multiple layers of subjectivity to this because I agree with you that I think it's relatively impossible to put in plain text and have it be fair of, oh yeah, seven turrets means this on this meta or two inhibitors means this on this meta or team composition related, right? Like Azir Sivir with two inhibitors down sometimes doesn't matter because they can wave clear infinitely. But there's still a person, the League Ops head official on the day that needs to be able to make the call of whether or not a comeback is reasonable. And in their subjective opinion, where is the threshold for what is reasonable? Because in my head, like intuitively, if you have to have a remake, it's this team has like a high enough chance to win. So in this situation where I say Echo Fox wins nine out of 10 times, in my opinion, right? And if that's the opinion of the League Ops, 
official, like that's going to be the break point that they're going to decide. Is it now more fair to award them victory or to make them reenter essentially a 50-50 state? Mm-hmm. And then if you're if you're able to make that call, like what is the threshold in which you should actually say this game's a rain out like they would in baseball and it's over? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the threshold becomes very again. It's it's all subjective. It's so subjective. And but then, like, if if you're making the decision, if, if I'm making if I'm making the decision, I think that like there should there should be a remake, even in I would say like an eighty twenty. Like I I think if you're if you're winning, so that's 80, a f- you're gonna win four out of five. Yeah, if you're winning 20. four out of five, and and like it, there there would also like I feel have to be like other things as far as a progression of the game, like you know general guidelines and so on and so forth. But if the game cannot be remade. And remember, this is like an extreme circumstance. We're not expecting this to have have happened very many times mm-hmm. ever. Uh, then I still think if you're supposed to win four to five times, eighty percent of the time, it's more unfair to put you back in a fifty-fifty than it is um, to remove the chance from the other team. And don't get me wrong, if I was on clutch, even if I'm even if I had a five percent chance to win, I would be pissed about a remake because oh, yeah. because you're having that chance taken away from you, and you could come back. And and there's been like you know when you think of some of the craziest comebacks. And if I were to put a number on some of these games, you'd be like 95 to 5, like 99 to 1. And those right? games have like, actually happened. And those games. COG at MSI. S- SKT at Worlds coming back, you know, against against some of the LPL teams. Mm-hmm. You know, the Faker Shockwave getting five people. They're down like 14K. Like those are supposed to be unwinnable games and we know they can happen. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you have to you have to look at what is more fair. And an 80-20 game is closer to like being 100% chance to win than it is to being 50% chance to win, for like for lack of a better term. Okay. And that's why that's why I believe it, it should still be going that way. Yeah, it's so difficult there um, because totally. it does feel like it feels like the bigger step is to say, boom, this team wins or something. You know, it is. I agree. Uh, you always want a team to kill the nexus. Right, right, yeah. You, you want it to happen, especially since but, this was the first time. Everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, sh- kind of shocked. I like if if I if I'm putting myself in league ops shoes, right, I wouldn't have wanted to make this call. Um, I I would have wanted to go back in time a few months and like in the event of this, like and change yeah. the language and the rules to be a little bit less hard. Of like, you know, uh a team could not avoid defeat to a level of reasonable certainty. I would have been like, I would have tried to make some language that is kind of more nuanced, like our discussion here, where, you know, a, a reasonably high chance of winning versus the other team who has a reasonably low chance of winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's it's terrible. I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how to write this stuff. <laughs> if the chances is pretty good. <laughs> but that that's kind of how I feel. And uh, I, I would be super, super angry if I was Clutch or if I was a Clutch fan because it's not fair. But it's also not fair to make Echo Fox play it again because bugs that are not chrono breakable absolutely suck. It's like the worst situation in our game yeah. that happens. And at the end of the day, hopefully it just never happens again because uh, it's, it, there's no good outcome. There's no perfect outcome from it. Well, at the end of today, we actually have a micro patch, so that at least we have some good news that they went right. and they were able to find the source of the bug. They fixed the bug. Uh, and now in North America, it's actually shipped out. I know the other regions as we speak are getting the patch. Yep. So it should be um, so rolled that'll out be, globally you know, pretty soon. Yeah, so that's at least different this time specific one which... shouldn't repeat, but yep. you know, hopefully hopefully, never going to have it again. Um, but either way, crappy situation. I, I still think that the best decision was made with the information given. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to be moving <laughs> moving on. I, I would have liked the rules to be different or there to be like, like personally, from a broadcast perspective, I also wish we would have been 
we would have found a way to be like discuss a little bit more because mm-hmm. we ended up like, oh, could they come back? What's going to happen? And then it was like, Dash, this is the ruling. See you in three and a half. And yeah. then we came back. It was like, I don't, oh, nine, I don't know if I was ready to issue the first, uh, you know, game calling. Yeah. But ultimately, we had to make the decision in like 30 minutes. And yeah. Anyway, next topic. Mad Life has retired. The end of an era, obviously. Mad Life iconic has, you know, kind of names, like all these, all these moves named after him. People mm-hmm. talk about, you know, predicting flashes with hooks and all these sorts of things. The Mad Life. Uh, you guys are obviously around and kind of casting a lot more during <laughs> Actually, glory days. That discussion um, when we were talking in the makeup room or whatever yeah. made me feel like more old. When when it, when uh, Azale was yeah. bringing it up, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll bring up Mad Life, I guess. And I was like, yes, I of can't course talk you talk about, about him Mad or whatever. Life. Like that was you know some of the the earliest memories of making support as a role not seem like just complete trash this was way before right decided yeah. to rework support items and supports are actually super buff now um and people are starting to complain that they're too strong <laughs> yeah but mad life was the player back in the day who was able to make this role that was was like the dota supports where you're scraping together money um you have to buy wards after wards after wards. Oracles and you know wards. green wards existed yeah oracles uh, potions and stuff existed, and he is able to make up uh, the difference in the plays that he's able to create. The things you're mentioning, Azale, with the the Blitzcrank hooks, the Thresh hooks, uh, you know, predictions. He was just he was a very avant-garde player, um, and that's you don't often have the the type of player mm-hmm. um, that has that skill and has that timing to actually get moves made da- ma- named after them anymore. We kind of have discussed that previously as well. Yeah, and I talk to a lot of our fans uh, after shows, and I always ask them, like, how long have you been watching for? And I get a lot of answers like, oh, I've been watching since 2013. I've been watching since 2014. Oh, I've been watching the last two years. Uh, but Mad Life was really at his peak at, like, the end of 2011 and the beginning of 2012. So I think for a lot of league viewers, uh, this is like you said, yeah, we're super what, old. what age is us? It's like <laughs> a basketball fan in like NBA terms versus league terms. This is your Dr. J or your Wilt or your Bill Russell, like comparisons. It's so far in the, in the past that a lot of people didn't see him, didn't see him live. I may have, uh, power crept that a little bit maybe it's more like Brown. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like yeah. Uh, but seriously I feel like there's a, a relatively small percentage of our current viewers that actually watch and experience Mad Life in his peak and as Kobe said like this guy revolutionized the game and at one point I think was the biggest star because he had more game impact than anyone else on the map in what was objectively the worst role in the game which is what was so incredible about Mad Life and I think gave fuel to people even saying support took skill because Mad Life was so clearly better than other people, specifically the OGN championship he played against Froggen and Crepo when they were down 0-2. Mad Life hard carried a lot of those games with his Alistair play uh, to get them back in it. And it made me really sad to see that he was retiring because I remember I think it was at the 2014 All-Star Game, I got to have dinner with some of the Korean pros, like Mad Life, and that was always when I was still pretty early on in esports, and I was asking him, how long do you want to play? Because a lot of people say that esports careers don't last that long. They're three or four years, and Mad Life said that he wanted to play until he was 30. So I thought he was going to, uh, and he's 25 and announced his retirement, which is like 
just really sad for me. But he hasn't necessarily been able to achieve what he wants to. He had that stint on Gold Coin United over yeah. in NA, hasn't found a home in Korean team. So, uh, you know, he said another interview that I haven't read yet, like this isn't the end. So I, I really want to see what his next step is because he is so important in the history of League of Legends. And, and I think, you know, while I wasn't like watching him live in 2011, 2012, that sort of thing, like it is one of those rare players that like coming into the game at a much later date, most people still know about Mad Life. Like mm -hmm. people still like you'd be you'd see a hook in a game, like someone hooks a flash or or, or flays someone out of a rock jump or something, and, and people are in all chat, Mad Life, Mad Life, you know, like these sorts of things. Like that's one of the players that has that lasting legacy. And and you could tell, like, even though he wasn't at the top for a long time, he would still get voted into all-star appearances for the LCK. Mm -hmm. And like he's such a beloved player. Um, and, and really I think uh, is gonna have a, a lasting impression on the game. Definitely agree. Um, is it time now to also start talking about Faker getting benched? Yes. Because that's another <laughs> all-time great and uh, pretty early to call it, but you yeah. know he's done. Kobe, <laughs> when I think about Purian, I always knew one day he was going to supplant Faker. When I saw him playing in North America, I mean, along with Core JJ, like those are the two clearly going to go back to Korea and dominate and fly as well. Fly, I knew one yeah, day. Yeah, Core JJ, I knew he was going to be a world champion when he was playing on Dignitas. You, you know? can see it. Him Minky Wicked. Yeah. Mm, the yeah, sparks were there. The reason we're talking about this is last night, SKT was up against MVP, and it, it wasn't like they just benched Faker in isolation for Pyrian. The whole roster changed. They played five sub players, and we don't actually really know why, so we're purely speculating. What do you think? Uh, Well, I mean, we don't really know why, but the only one that I care about at all is the Faker <laughs> benching. How how SKT have been doing? You could tell me, you know, Bang Wolf, you know, any of these other guys are getting benched on the team. I'm like, eh, go for it, you know, yeah. try yeah. something out, go go wild, coma. But as soon as you cross the line, like you bench Faker, um, and it's it's for Pyrian, right? Us in North America, like maybe it, maybe we have a biased or a skewed opinion or something oh, yeah. because he was here and he didn't have, uh, you know, tremendous success or anything. Mm -hmm. But it's not like they benched him for, um, you know, rookie or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, this that, That's why it was so shocking. And that's why everyone's trying to, you know, be a detective. Is this like the new and improved Cloud9 situation? Uh, is is there, you know, some attitude problems going on? Is the, the coma belts not working anymore? Faker or, tweets uh, out with Faker didn't Wolf, feel like, that on good. the bench with the bros. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the least Faker thing to ever happen. And, and like, at least my take is definitely not. So when they talked about the Cloud9 thing, there was a lot of talk about, oh, they lost their fire to improve and all this. Faker was rank one in, in Korean solo, yeah. right? Like he's, okay, well, he did hit rank he was, one. Maybe yeah, like he a, fell. He's been rank one um, many times. And, and I mean, just very recently, right? Like, so he's still grinding. He's still like able to reach the very top. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to read that much into it. Like it, maybe he just wanted a break, right? SKT is struggling very clearly. They're going to be trying some things because the team looks like trash. They look really bad. Uh, they did not even win. Not, not only did they lose both their series with Faker, they lost all the games in those series. They haven't even picked up a, a game win, let alone a series win. So SKT is looking like hot garbage. They're trying to do some different things. Maybe Faker wanted to take a break. Maybe the coach is, is trying to do some crazy stuff. Um, but all I know is we're one step closer to Faker and NA, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, that's, get out your paycheck. That's true. <laughs> I, SKT's in so much trouble. I don't. Like, yeah, they're they're done. man. They always have the chance of turning it around, 
and we constantly had this discussion last year of will SKT miss worlds? And then even last split, we finally said that KT would beat them in a series. And then they <laughs> finally did. We said it a lot of times, but they finally did. And now they're yet to win a best of three. They're 0-3. They just lost to MVP. They play Griffin next, who's a 4-0 team. Yeah, they play best of three, and yeah, their season's long, man, but they already don't have that many championship points, and they, they have to find something this split. When you're subbing out your entire roster uh, against MVP, which is a team that you need to pick up wins against. MVP yeah. was 6-12 and 12 yeah. last split. They're not a team you should be losing to. And yeah, it was a close series, but I hope it was just some R&R, like a de-stressor or something for this team. Because if we start seeing much more of that, then I've lost hope for SKT. I, I mean, I have no hope for them making Worlds unless they make a significant roster change. I just think it's a situation where it's like, a lot of people are always going to be shocked by SKT's like struggles because of the legacy that this team has, but it's it's not the same team, right? Like when they when they dropped Hooney, I strongly believe that they thought they were going to get Marin, they thought they were going to get Impact, they thought mm -hmm. they were going to get some you know big name replacement for him. Uh, none of those panned out by all you know by all uh, rumors and everything. You know, like Mar Marin obviously didn't want to go there. I heard there was offers to Impact and to to Smeb and to all these different mm -hmm. guys, and no one went. So they they didn't. They lost like their top laner who was. My opinion, they're better, better top laner. Their bottom lane is now like whether you want to say other bottom lanes got better, they got worse. Combination, they're like middle of the road bottom lane, right? Like it's not like uh, Bang and Wolf are, are smashing these guys anymore. Like yep. you know, you have Prey and Gorilla, you have the Ruler bot lane, you have you know Deft and Mata, and even guys like like Pilot and so on, like and Teddy and all these guys are coming in and who have a lot of talent. So it's like middle of the road bottom lane. I think lower tier top lane jungle was already a struggle. Like that's that's mid low tier probably in LCK as well. So you have what one lane that's supposed to be near the top of the league, and now even that is somewhat arguable. Like people are, there's lots of people that are saying BDD is better than Faker now, and so on and so forth. So it's like you look at the roster; it's not that good. How are they supposed to be getting to the top of LCK with this team? Like unless there's big changes, I just it seems like it makes sense. Yeah, I tuned in uh, to watch some of the vods and and even watch like. The, the intro leading up to Champ Select and stuff like that to try and see if Papa Smithia and Atlas had, you know, had any extra information. But, uh, you know, ev even they were, like, really caught off guard. And they're like, yeah. well, we can see the starters are in the studio. Um, and the fans so were expecting to see We Vegas. know that they're not dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, we don't have that much insight. Whereas the Cloud9 roster that you're referencing, and actually, since we didn't really get to talk about it uh, last time, since it came out, like, during mm -hmm. uh, the recording of the dive, now it's they've been very explicit. Yeah. Uh, Travis uh, did another interview with uh, Jack and his dad, and they were like, well, it was, a it was definitely the yeah. attitude problems um for jensen and sneaky and the way that they were kind of approaching uh, you know scrims mm -hmm. in the meta and stuff like that um and zazel specifically uh for the academy guys has had extremely good communication and is always thinking about the future like they actually laid out some very explicit things about what he has been doing and uh taking the next steps as far as mm -hmm. guiding the team and being much more proactive um yeah. So that I, to me, that was like some very interesting information that we have yeah. that, you know, Zazel looks like, you know, other teams have already, you know, tried to get him before off of, uh, you know, the academy team. But he looks to be um, extremely strong, especially as far as like guiding the whole team. And then uh, at the other two guys, Sneaky and Jensen, um, it, it was definitely sort of your spot is available, but like mm. you need to earn it back. And we've seen already like Jensen climb to like, 
500 points challengers from like diamond or something like that trying yep. to you know play and get his spot back it was very transparent from jack and the few things that i also want to mention there is at one point in the interview with travis he said reaper and jack were talking and said this current lcs team will not make playoffs so do you want me to change things and jack said of course i want to make playoffs yeah but like to actually say that in an interview when you have this team of previous all pro pro players and you don't think they're gonna make playoffs means something must have been going very wrong and then also i was so confused with the skt tweets immediately or sorry (laughs) the cloud nine tweets immediately after the benchings where they were posting pictures of like on the bench with the boys or benched Mm -hmm. xd and jack said that wasn't very professional and i was not pleased i'm like oh damn that means something, something, something real is going down. Well, that means Jack and yeah, players. That means they're getting benched. <laughs> yeah, those memes were. It was it was so weird when they all kept doing it, and they knew even the t- picture of them all and stuff. Like, I, like I, I messaged Mindy, I was like, "Is this a troll? Are you guys I actually thought, benched? Yeah, like, what is going? When that what's, happened, what's but it was just a big joke. Yeah, yeah, it was all like. Well, people and started. that's the problem. They were treating it like they're a the joke. meme. So, uh, this coming week, you know, we were all kind of assuming like it was going to be this one week of reprimand, but now they're going to be benched again. Um, I think that's actually a high likelihood. I would expect that the, I'm going to just C9 Academy, uh, what should we call them? The Golden Glue Keith squad, like is going to stay in for at least a week. Mm. At least one more week is my guess. I, I think it's reasonable to give them another week, you know, because based on their performance in the first week. So they went one and one but their one loss was actually a pretty competitive game where they gave up both the bottom lane died, gave up their summoners, then their jungler died level two uh, and gave up his summoners. And their bottom lane was missing waves at the start because they died so late. So it was like, it was a pretty horrible start to the game and they still made it a competitive game. And then game two, they won. Even in game one, Golden Glue looked really good in a loss, getting soul mm-hmm. kill on Febben. So, you know, they looked reasonable. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they are going to keep on to these guys for longer or not, because there is obviously going to be kind of, um, the worry of, you know, if, if your stars are motivated again and are practicing and working hard, you know, do you frustrate them or do you do like maybe long-term damage to, to your team's kind of like mentality and how that is working? If they say, Hey, now I've put in the work, Jensen, okay, I climbed from D1 or whatever. I'm 600 LP challenger now. Does that like then kind of hurt your team long term? If you're thinking, well, we're gonna eventually go back to Jensen as long as he's motivated, right? Yeah. Like Golden Glue had a great performance, but can you justify based on their history to keep him in over Jensen, who has been traditionally one of the best uh, mid laners in North America for so long? I don't think the team makes worlds unless they start Jensen. And yeah, Sneaky. that that's my opinion right now, and I'm willing to be wrong on this, but that's just based Sorry, on their history and. If they can refine their motivation and grind again, I think that experience and their history of success will prove it. Yeah. There was actually a, also a clip of Bjergsen talking about the issue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something that he said. It was like, honestly, right now or last week, he said, we got better practice out of scrimming the team with Zazel, the academy team. Keith, yep. um, and Golden Glue, actually the whole academy team, than they did versus the uh, you know Cloud9 main roster. But he also said that he has to think if Jensen, um, you know, is applying himself, then he'll get his spot back. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, just to kind of close this out, we still don't have every side of the story, so to speak, right? We've seen <laughs> some passive-aggressive tweets. We've seen Jack we probably never will. and Reaper talk about it. I don't think we ever will. Uh, but I also think it's just an incredibly difficult situation for Jack to be in. When your stars 
that are a lot of the reasons people are fans of your franchise yep. either aren't motivated or aren't listening or even like how how 100% true that is because we're only hearing it right now from Jack's side. Like, what do you do? Do you listen to your coach and try and win with these highly motivated academy players? Or do you say, I'm going to take a big risk and try and motivate these guys or take a big risk and I think Golden Glue and Keith are actually good enough now to make Worlds knowing like knowing that it's going to be such an unpopular decision, mm-hmm. he has to be really confident that it's the right one. Like overly confident. This can't be one of those, I'm mostly sure it's going to work. No, you have to be sure it's going to work uh, because of the backlash you are sure to receive. And they got blasted for it. Yeah, they really did. I mean, there's so many, so many of the fans are, are fans of players more than teams, I feel like mm-hmm. these days. And that's all your, your most popular players. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side, I feel like sponsors often care more about results like a lot of the sponsors care more about like are you winning are you winning or not right rather than sometimes individual players so it's a tough thing to balance but uh meta 8.12 coming 8.12. out soon um you know obviously there's, there's going to be some pretty big changes some of the most notable ones I, I think is is stuff with like the banner getting removed there's a lot of talk about that whether it was good change bad change um but it'll be interesting to see how it affects the play we only got one week on patch 811 there has been a ton of discussion about whether or not you should be playing Marksman or if you should be playing the new stuff like Brand and Lux and Mordekaiser and Darius and Yasuo and this plethora of champions that people just seem to be throwing into the bottom lane and don't really know what they're doing with. My opinion on it is at least watching NA, who was the, I think, most Marksman-centric of the regions, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of the Marksmen who weren't playing Marksman sucked at those picks <laughs> like then that was that was a big part of it uh as far as the matchups and when i watch the lck games it feels to me like they are more practiced on the non-marksman picks for the most part which is again why we're seeing more of it and i think the success kind of shows that uh 80 carries have a lower win rate in lck they have a higher win rate in na uh, but as you mentioned as well when you bring banner into the mix that's a bigger part of it than a lot of people realize of not having a marksman having that extra turret push once you've gotten your early to mid game lead taking baron to actually ending the game yeah i mean that's a discussion we even had with uh with Huni a little bit on nalcs tonight and like you know he said that they would have to try it and echo fox obviously is is kind of like a big proponent of swapping things around and trying some of the non-marksman bot lanes and so on and so forth but you know he wasn't even sure like how how easy it would be to end games without marksman uh if you were going uh, to, to kind of lose banner um, I, I do think that there is the option of bringing more like siege siege type mages in the mid lane, right? If you mm-hmm. want to play with like a Ziggs or whatever, and that's obviously the most extreme example. But um, there are mages that are, are very powerful, actually knocking down turrets as well. Um, and you know, on Freak's new show that came out, Freak Show, you know, he even mm-hmm. talks about like, kind of the breakpoints, and it's, it was like you know, I think at, I want to say it was 250 or 350 AP or something like that uh, that an RE actually does, you know, without cooldowns up, more DPS to a turret than a Tristana, who's considered, you know, one of the best uh, actually knocking down turrets. So that was pretty interesting to me, um, just even seeing uh, those sort of breakpoints and how mages can effectively knock down turrets. But uh, I I also think, you know, you have to take into consideration there are some small kind of like marksman buffs that are going to push people Mm -hmm. back towards it. The fact that a lot of people have been successful on marksman as well. I mean, you mentioned... Uh, NA versus LCK, but LPL is very heavily marksman uh, also. Mm-hmm. You know, they have been running mostly marksmen, and they have been pretty successful. So I think it should still be, if you are very good at running the new strategies, then they should be part of your playbook. But if you are not, marksman was always better. And like, and that hasn't changed. Uh, I think just teams sometimes didn't really realize it. Yeah, I mean, 
we, we go back to the same points that we were kind of mentioning last episode, you know, and it, it does have to do with the, the skill expression that you have on that champion. Um, something to me that people aren't talking about at all for this patch, though, is the huge nerf to all of the shield champions and the shielding items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, th- This is a huge change, and, and everyone is completely tunneled on, are people going to play Marksman? Are they going to play Vladimir, Bland, Brand, and stuff like this? And and the ba- oh, banner's gone. But every all of the items that build out of Forbidden Idol got nerfed. Forbidden mm-hmm. Idol itself got nerfed. The duration of almost all the shields here, Karma, Lulu, even Orianna's in there, Janna, um, got cut by around half or even sometimes more than half. Um, Janna one's even more extreme and, because and Janna of the shield decaying. Like, to me, that is a huge change um, you know, to shielding champions and a huge nerf to get a lot of those types of supports out of the game, which is going to be really interesting, as well as in the micro patch, they added some buffs to the crit itemization. So mm-hmm. uh, one thing we also said last time around was like, okay, you can still uh, definitely play Lucian, Kaisa, Ezreal, right? These these are marksmen, technically, mm-hmm. and they're very powerful in the bottom lane, especially since the players all have tons of games on these champions. But the ones that rely more heavily on the scaling into crit builds uh, really don't see that much use because the games mm-hmm. are slower. Uh, you're not going to be able to get there now. You know they're buffing up Infinity Edge, Storm Razor, and F- Essence Reaver a little mm-hmm. bit on the micro patch, so that that's going to like try and add a little bit more power or or make it closer to achievable. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel to me like these are big enough to be like. Boom! Everybody back in there. Agreed. You know, go for Infinity and Edge. They, and they or whatever. stated that they want it to be like you know, still they want the bot lane diversity to stay the same. Yeah. Like they want there to be melee stuff still. Yeah, I mean the goal is, has always they're all like we need diversity. Everybody should be playable at the equal opportunity chance you know, for all champions or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so that's you know what what they're trying to do. Um, and and we'll see if this kind of edges any more of them back in. Because there's, as you're saying, you know, it's it's still so powerful to build around something like, uh, you know, a late game crit AD carry. Yep. But this is combined with a bunch of nerfs to the supporting shield champions, which are usually like, mm-hmm. all right, it's the Lulu and the Kogma and yeah. the Tristan or whatever uh, that really gets the superpower. The shielding and healing stuff is interesting to me because those champions have fallen so much out of the meta, at least in the pro play. Like, there is still some of them. Lulu, I think, is the most popular. Um, that we're still seeing because we're seeing Lulu as the bot lane carry, as the support, as the you mid laner. Reckless's sick Jana. <laughs> yeah, that was nasty. Uh, Karma on that team too. They got like, all <laughs> these champions in there. Is there you go? There you go. This They're is a direct not... nerf to Fnatic. Oh. I, th- I think it's a buff because it'll stop them from running one of the worst drafts I've ever seen. <laughs> they won. <laughs> that was okay. terrible. Um, just terrible. Just terrible. Uh, but anyway, like like when you're looking at the highest presence supports in the game, so it's. I don't think this actually changed Rakan. I didn't see Rakan in there. I'm not, not sure. It didn't change but like, either. You know, the mo- the highest kind of presence, uh, you know, bottom laners there. Uh, Rakan, Alistar, Braum, Morgana, you know, Shen, except like Lulu does get changed. Fiddle, Tom, Tarek, Pike. Like none of those guys are really affected. So I do think it's a huge change for solo queue. And especially because... Uh, like a lot of the shielding and healing supports because they're so consistent like their baseline is so high they've been high swin rate guys forever so mm-hmm. uh, this does change up a, a lot there and I think it does you know maybe knock down a peg like the, the kind of protect the hogmile protect the crit 80 carry type comps but in pro play I don't think we'll see that big of a change and and I know part of the idea with the shield nerf is that it's like, so it's, it's shorter duration for most of them. Jana is the exception because it decays. Mm-hmm. Shorter duration, but same power. So yeah. the idea being 
you don't just mindlessly press your Lulu shield every time it's up. You use it when they're actually taking damage, mm -hmm. and then it's going to have the same value. And that is kind of the hope. So you would think for pro play that would have less of an effect than on your average, you know, like silver or bronze Lulu who might not mm -hmm. be using it uh, as well. Yeah, and overall, uh, I agree the shield changes will nerf the strats a little bit. I personally like the Stormraiser buff because I think that item is a little bit underpurchased. I think it's actually a good one item spike for Marksman. But what's ultimately going to decide the meta is what teams are figuring out in scrims. We, we still see so much upheaval in what people are playing. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything in this patch that drastically changes that more so than just more time mm -hmm. with the changes. Yeah, more data is going to go a long way because you watch one game where uh, oh, Cody Sun dies level one on Vladimir, and your immediate reaction like, ah, he's garbage on Vladimir. They can't play it at all, or whatever. But especially since the sample size is so low, like you see one big mistake, um, then then you kind of write off a whole strategy or something like that. If they put more time into it, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that this does become you know one of their better strategies and stuff like that. So it it really is going to be about uh, you know how the individual teams are actually developing. Yeah and how quickly they, they actually are able to pick these things up. And I really hope, even though this hasn't really happened in League of Legends history, the teams come to completely different conclusions, and that's what they practice. I hope we have the team that has the bot laner who's really good at all the non-marksmen, and then we have the other team who's just hard stuck on marksmen doing their best to win, and we get to see those styles clash, because that's, to me, the most exciting and I think there's there's kind of a better chance because they, they, you could very easily come to the conclusion that well we don't have Hooney so so we can't <laughs> you know like these they're, they're these sorts of players that like especially with the crazy roll swap stuff it's like you you don't there's these you, sorts of players that are Hooney and then there's yeah. these sorts of players that everyone else is not Hooney like so. wild turtle and stuff <laughs> yeah but the, that's kind of the joke right it's like, it's like one of those things where you you watch Echo Fox and you're like wow that's working really well for Echo Fox I don't think any teams were sitting there hey, this is what we should do. This is what we got to practice. You know, like, all right, all right. Hear me out here, Dokla. You just just <laughs> Yasuo learn bot. Yasuo bot, Talia jungle, and all the carries top, and maybe practice up some Riven mid, and then we'll be ready to go for next week. Like, it's not a strategy you try to emulate, and that is so cool. So I really hope um, that Banner doesn't knock out these, uh, these sort yeah. of strategies. Well, let's move on to North American LCS as well, because we have one week in the books. Echo Fox, we're starting with them because they were the most interesting team. Not only did we get to talk about them at the start of the show, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they also had the only role swaps where Hooney played jungle and AD carry, does yep. bot lane carry, yet to play top lane. Uh, I wanted to give him a quest during the long fill to play all five roles. He says he's not going to play support. <laughs> but I don't know. I tweeted out, do you think Huni will play support just to get the five of five? And he responded and he was like, I play LeBlanc, smiley face. <laughs> so yeah. and everyone else was like, oh, of course, Pike, you know, is going to be the uh -huh. champion or whatever. But, uh, you know, it could happen. I want it to happen. He's he going to he's gonna play mid. I think they're, it's hard to say, but I hope they're the first team to pull out a super, like a gold funneling strategy, yeah. because that hasn't been hurt that much on A12. Uh, I think it's totally viable. Uh, did you actually yeah. catch the super that happened in the LCK? The Down uh, series? So, yeah, yeah. So, it was the best, no, last night, the best oh. Kaisa super I've ever seen. 14 one They won in 23 minutes. Okay. I saw the uh, King Zone Dragon X versus KT Rolster mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to see those two teams no, it worked. go at it okay. again. King Zone's um, It worked. 
But it they didn't win because uh, they were funneling farm into Master E. No. Yep. They won because Mundo was dumping on people one before. Like Khan just went insane with the Mundo up topside. And and actually, I thought one of the more interesting things about the game was that KT actually illustrated the ways that you dismantle mm. gold funneling strategies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, a Tarek Yi it does not have mid-game wave clear. Um, and and the strat relies upon them getting to the gold, you know, sources, the the camps as well as the minions as quickly as possible, and trying to get back before you're able to do something else. So the game is so much about tempo, <laughs> um, and not only can you try to you know invade them early or you know try and cut off their jungle pathing, but in the mid game you have to just hard smash that tower. There's no excuse for mm -hmm. not pushing in super hard. Uh, against a Taric Master Yi, yeah. uh, who's going to be unable to wave clear. So you should be getting, in exchange for you know all their funneling going to Master Yi, you should be getting more gold as a team. Should be getting a yeah. first turret bonus or whatever. Um, and and that's why the draft is so important if you see it coming, um, because you have to worry about all these pushing lanes. What are your side lanes going to be able to do? And what is your uh, mid jungle duo? Are they going to set up to be able to punish that? Yeah, and that does bring us back to Echo Fox. They are the team most likely to do these strategies. Do you think they can maintain success with this stuff? Because we were even thinking, how many top laners does Dardoch play? Like, probably just Rengar. How many top laners does Alltech play? They just banned Mundo, right? Sorry, often... everybody practice one top laner. <laughs> right, and then you can cycle <laughs> and to go up. Is that, like, the level of their strategic depth? Is that sustainable? Are they a team that can stay in first? I think these are the questions that I want to ask. I, I think they they are a team that can stay in first because they, they got third place playing completely standard. If you add a couple more plays to the playbook, even if it's just something that you say, oh, well, then you just ban Rengar and you just ban Mundo and you just ban, oh, like, you know, Phoenix plays Rise Top 1. Okay, mm -hmm. so you just ban that. Well, then you're, then you're kind of compromising your draft in a lot of ways that they could get advantages elsewhere and, like, they can play standard. We know that they can play standard and win that way too. So I think it doesn't have to be the only thing you can do. It just has to be a thing you can do really well. Uh, as long as you're not then, you know, awful at the other strategies, it's just an advantage. And, you know, we've also seen like one of the cool things about that, that King's Own KT game as well that I think can apply in all like of those funneling strats is that, you know, they didn't have to win just through the E dominating because they they picked other strong winning lanes. And that's one of the things I really didn't like with when I talked earlier about Fnatic, how they did it. When you have like a Janna, uh, like Karma bot lane and all these sorts of things, um, it's all your eggs in one basket completely. And if that person gets put behind it all, you just lose. Whereas, like you said, they had a Mundo who's doing really well against Aurelia. They picked a Lucian right. Lulu bot yeah. lane that was just beating uh, the Vladimir Rakan very heavily. So it's like they just were winning across the map. Yeah. And then the Yi eventually is going to get enough farm and turn on. So I think this is kind of like one of the new evolutions of it. And we could very easily, I think, see Echo Fox run this type of strategy with just like Huni's just playing a normal top lane. Bottom lane is just playing normal bot lane stuff. But and you just run in the bottom part lane part of that, if the bottom lane is, you know, trying to play something, um, you know, standard or trying to play a winning lane, mm -hmm. is the Echo Fox bottom lane going to be able to push up? Is the, are, are they going to have mm -hmm. as much control as, as we saw in the King Zone game, right? Yeah. So it, this Echo Fox team, to me, while we're like, oh, my God, it's the craziest team. They can do anything. They're so flexible. When, when it comes down to that, that half of the map, are they really that flexible? Um, because that was the weakness that we pointed out last split for them. Mm -hmm. um, and Alltech, I think, had an amazing Mundo game. But how much confidence are you going to put in them to 
if you're doing gold funneling or something else, them as by themselves as a 2v2 to actually, you know, push up, smash that lane or whatever. If, um, if they have like an illusion plus range support versus like someone who's uncomfortable on Vladimir or something, I think they can. But that's but, a lot of ifs. But of course. But I, I mean, to me, it's me saying that I think Echo Fox could stay in first place is not saying Echo Fox is infallible. It's saying that all the teams have very clear weaknesses and Echo Fox has the potential to, to just kind of overcome theirs. Like, um, you know, TSM obviously still looks like they, you know, they have uh, questions in the jungle. They don't even know who they're going to be starting. You know, 100 Thieves have an awful 0-2 week. Like, none of the teams look perfect. TL had a great one game and then Doublelift looked, you know, kind of very uncomfortable. And Vladimir, they struggled there. So all the teams have issues. I just think Echo Fox is the team that showed the best mastery of, of some of these new strategies in week one. And if you can take a third place team and add some new kind of pages to the playbook, then I think you have the potential to maybe get be first. Yeah, and I think that brings us to TSM, who was the reverse of Echo Fox in the first week as far as what they did, because they played Kaisa Varus in the bottom lane. Mm -hmm. They played standard junglers, relatively standard mid laners. The craziest thing you may have seen out of them was the Aatrox top by Hauntzer in the first game where he tweeted out he didn't know that his Q was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. That's why he got solo killed by an Orin. But ultimately, right, they had that comeback against COG and then a really solid win the next. So you guys put them either second or third in your power rankings before the split. Yeah. I put them number one. They also announced that they were starting Grig over Mike Young. Grig looked pretty good. And Hauntzer said in an interview that Mike Young was getting really stressed with shot calling, so he's going to be on the academy team for at least now. But when I watch Bjergsen's stream, he's doing with Grig. Uh, I feel like that's probably going to stick around at least until they start losing if that happens. Yeah, the messaging was interesting with that one because when they announced yeah. it, they were like, Yay, Grig got promoted up to the LCS team to share time with Mike Young. Mm -hmm. um, and we haven't seen Mike Young. And um, he his tweets around his academy gameplay, like he wasn't even happy with his gameplay in the academy league. So yeah. it does feel like we're we're more of shifting over to Grig. And then, you know, maybe uh, when if, when Mike builds back up his confidence, maybe Sinji with the team or something. Um, do Do you even see him coming in back in at all? this split if TSM continue to win, whether it's because no. of Grig or not. I, I think there's no chance. I mean, they had their they had their worst split they, ever. Like if, they, if they're going 18 and 0, exactly. like you're never subbing exactly. But if they lose a few, I can see Mike yeah. coming back in. Uh, like, I mean, they had their worst split ever with Mike Young, right? That's that's just, like, true. And uh, it, it's one of those things where, like, I still haven't seen uh, been seeing him play a lot with Bjergsen you know, on their stream. So they're still playing. It's not like I think he's, you know, gone. But if Grig just comes in and doesn't lose, that's always the opportunity you have when you are a player coming up. If if the starter is looking shaky and you can overperform and whether it's all on you or not, if everything is working, people usually don't want to shake mm -hmm. it up. Unless the only chance is if they're winning every game, but they're losing every single scrim and whatever, Mike Young's looking amazing there. Uh, a little bit of an aside, but do you think all of these academy uh, players trying to move up and successfully moving up to uh, NALCS teams is going to improve the peak North American solo queue experience? Because all the academy players are seeing all these changes and they're like, C9's moving up, TSM's moving up, you know, everybody's getting promoted. How do you best prove your your uh, you know dedication to the team and stuff? And people are always going to gravitate gravitate towards being like rank one in solo queue or something like that because that is impressive and that you know it takes a lot of work um, and that's something substantial to hold on to yep. even though it doesn't directly translate mm -hmm. to you're so good or you know you people uh, always think it's so like dedicated potential. but yeah it it does mean something right. Yeah.
It's a little bit nebulous. Especially public perception. Like Grig was top five almost the entire split, last split in Academy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if anything, that would have influenced TSM to think, maybe we should give him a chance. See? Because when we talk to Mark and we watch Academy, no one thought Grig was that impressive in Academy. So that's why it was kind of surprising that they were putting him for Mike Young. But I think the solo queue, personally, having no insight into the decision, <laughs> think that it would have been important because it's the public latches onto it. Yep. And I know that the players on the team kind of by diffusion are also influenced by the public's perception when they read that, oh, this guy's pretty good. They think, oh, maybe I'll give him a chance. Yeah. And when I watch Bjerg interact with Grig. I feel like there is more comfort there for that team. <laughs> I feel like Grig is more comfortable playing in that environment, and I mm-hmm. think they're more comfortable with that dynamic. The whole thing about bringing in Mike Young to be this aggressive jungler who's going to be able to shot call when he has four years of less of competitive experience than everyone else on the team has never really made sense to me. But yeah. Grig coming in and deferring to all of the veterans while still being solid – that's just the dynamic that I feel like if Mike wants to succeed, yeah. he needs to have as his dynamic. I don't think Mike's ever going to come in as the leader of that team and have them succeed. Yeah. In, unless you come with so much swagger and you're smashing from the very beginning and people start to buy into it. Like when when the confidence falters, especially for like a person who is supposed to be super aggressive and a carry player and everything, it starts to really – people lose faith in you playing that. And Greg, I mean, you know, you can say like maybe he didn't look amazing in Academy, but he's also mostly just been a tank player. And tanks, I, I generally feel like a, a tank jungler is mostly like a force multiplier. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where obviously you can, you know, excel and take over games at times. But like, you know, someone who's playing a Sejuani and a Zac and all these sorts of things. And if you look at a solo queue, all his most played is mostly tanks. Uh, he obviously does play other things as well. But like when you put better pieces around you, if you're doing all the right things, getting vision and protecting them and whatever, and counter ganking and doing all these sorts of things, they get much bigger advantages with that, right? Like when you have, when your mid laner is Bjergsen and your top laner is Haunter, mm-hmm. maybe all you have to do is ward for them and then they win their lanes, right? Um, and, and I think he had a, a pretty successful week and I'm just expecting TSM to be sticking with him and, and looking to see if they can continue to improve. But I mean, their first week they went 2-0, but it's not like they looked super dominant. They looked they were super close to losing to CLG. They were super close to losing to CLG, and both games they they played standard, which I think is totally fine. But they played extremely slow, which is something that at least internationally has always kind of plagued them. When you when you think about some of the issues that they've had, it's it felt like they were playing very very slow. The and against West game was fast, but the CLG game was slow. Yeah, the CLG game mostly. And then the CLG one, they did make a couple of early mistakes, which would contribute to them playing slow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they actually were the ones who started the first move on the on the top lane. Um, you backfired. know, when Bjergsen went up there, yeah, and that backfired. And so um, after that backfired, um, it did make sense for them to kind of, like, yeah. wait for the opportunity. But it's super hard to balance those because, um, like you're saying, yeah, the the lack of proactivity has been something that you're always very ready to jump on this team for. Yeah, because if you, if you feel like, oh, there's so many openings that CLG could have won this game, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt. Like, they felt like they were in the driver's seat. Well, if you're playing against a better team or the XC a little bit better, well, you just lose, and then all of a sudden there's more yeah. questions. But... Uh, you know, uh, still, this is this is the debut basically for Grig on TSM. It's a good start. They went 2-0. It's a great start. And if they can keep that up and build from there, 
It's going to be looking good. It's much better than the Mike Young, Siobhan, and getting Rise Alton into Baron Pit debut. Let me say that. <laughs> I, I also <laughs> like, because yeah. uh, we did like a mic check to listen to the comms for TSM when they were about to win. And the team's kind of like trolling around the fountain or whatever. Yeah. And Greg's like, please, guys, just end. I don't get to win an LCS that often. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you could hear it in his, in his voice. And like, you, you know, he really means it. And you're like, you start to feel for him. And you're like, you know yeah. what? I associate with this jungler mentality where please team. yeah please like please sir can I have a win <laughs> I, I'm new here like let's get it done it's like that solo queue where you're like super worried about you're your, your team like, or something we made it all the way to the nexus guys all right just end it I've been traumatized by all my teams throwing yeah, yeah. final two teams I want to talk about are Team Liquid and 100 Thieves the NALCS finals rematch was actually the only match that either of these teams won last week uh, when TL took down 100 Thieves. TL then lost to Golden Guardians in about 20 minutes, and 100 Thieves never killed the Nexus. So what do you take from an overreaction standpoint about Team Liquid's loss to Golden Guardians or 100 Thieves' inability to find a win? My, my overreaction is that both these teams suck at playing non-marksmen. Um, and it's it's one of those things where it's you know that's that's not fully fair to say. Of course, it is no reaction because it is just you know small sample size. But the mistakes that we saw not just Cody Sun and Doublelift make, mm -hmm. um, but also Wild Turtle and all these sorts of things, where it was like the Cody Sun was one was pretty egregious. He's playing Vladimir to Zyrakon, not counting minions, seeing that they're going to get level two. Then they get level two. Then he gets you know he doesn't flash any of the CC, just dies level one, gives up gives up that kill. And then even you know, the TL one wasn't as bad, but both Double and Olay have have Targon's charges. They're one minion from level two when they get dove. And Golden Guardians does execute a very nice dive. It's three level twos against two level ones. But if you level up, you take pool on Vladimir. Pobelter is roaming down. Maybe that's a triple kill for for Aurelia, and you win that game, right? Like these are just mistakes that you don't expect to see them make. Even the turtle one trying to walk into lane when the other team already has push, and you're swaying trying to walk through the river you know, through them and just dying level one. Like these sorts of things should not happen at pro level. Um, and that to me has really been like, you know, I think you put it really well, Kobe, when we were talking about this and you're saying they're so focused on thinking, what do I do right on the champion that they're forgetting like about the basics of the lane yeah. of what do I do in lane where, you know, you put double it on Illusion or Caitlyn or whatever. He doesn't even have to think, what do I do on this champion? Because he's played it 20,000 times. Right. You can think about what your opponents are going to do, mm -hmm. and then you get to think a step ahead and counter kind of what they're trying to do. Exactly. But they kind of failed to do that, and that that is my overreaction. That, hey, mm -hmm. like, Teal looks so massively different um, on, on like, with Doublet on Zaya and Standard mm -hmm. Marksman playing around that than they did on Vladimir, is that you should just stick to what you know. I would say that Team Liquid was very inconsistent in the first week. A lot of that does have to do with double as Vladimir, but I think a lot of it also has to do with their bottom lane dynamic and the general inconsistency that they also showed in the spring split. Mm -hmm. This is a team that in spring was super inconsistent, went on a hot streak during the playoffs, and then again was inconsistent at MSI. So I'm not that surprised that they lost to Golden Guardians in the way that they did. I wouldn't have predicted it, but I'm not surprised about it. And I want to see if they can actually find a level of consistency because I expect the team to remain a bit of a toss-up every single game they go in based on if they were able to get a composition that they're comfortable with and gel on versus if they're not because those are completely different versions of TL when you see impact on the right champion versus not. Yeah, it's actually so interesting that just off the top of your head, you know, instant reactions, people would be like, oh yeah, Echo Fox, they're so volatile. Um, and we were last split also. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
why are Team Liquid getting a free pass on you know not being this so volatile team? You know, like you're saying, yeah. why 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 do you just get to brush off uh, these losses where mm-hmm. they lost to Golden Guardians last split too? Um, yep. And and Golden Guardians looked very good this split. This should not take away you know from the improvements um, that we see from this team. But uh, Team Liquid and Echo Fox are uh, not number one and number two from spring, but considered in Miami, especially from all the teams, you know, scrimming and everything like that, they're like, okay, these two teams, they're, they're way better than everyone else. They're, they're crushing everyone else in um, scrims, and they did, uh, you know, win both of their matches. Uh, our two most successful teams, you know, mm-hmm. are the, like, two super volatile ones where you're like, ah, there's no consistency, you know, all, the, all this stuff can happen, and, yeah. and a lot of it, uh, you know, does come down to the intricacies there on the internal itch situation. Yeah, they were like, Echo Fox and TL were two sides of patch notes in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> TL looked garbage when it was all funneling through top lane, and then Echo Fox looked garbage when it was all funneling through bot lane. And that was, in my opinion, the biggest difference between those two teams last split. Okay. Hunter Thieves, though, is a team that failed to find a win. My opinion on these guys is, if we're giving overreactions, that it is a little scary how similar this team could be to CLG after CLG found success with Aphromoo. Because Aphromoo exudes so much confidence and can be such a good leader in all of these close games that they played in the spring where they almost never had a huge goal lead, but they Mm -hmm. still managed to get first in the regular season. And they had a super close best of five against Clutch. And they make finals. And then everyone on that team kind of gets this idea that, yeah, man, we're the second best team in the league. Next step, first best team in the league. But potentially, because they're so good at scraping by these really close games, like CLG was a lot with Aphromu, that they're not fixing or identifying the reason that so many of those games are close. So all it takes is the team to drop down just a little bit where the moxie and the shot calling and the leadership and all the veterans they have on that team aren't enough to find wins. Uh, and I worry that that could be the case for 100 Thieves. And and I also worry about the fact that mo- most, if not all of their success last split came through a very one-dimensional style. It was playing through Cody Sun. Cody Sun did an enormous you know, percentage of their damage in the games. It was almost always protect the Cody, succeed mm-hmm. late game. Um, you know, can you still do that style if you want to try to run these, you know, these new meta bot lanes or do they have to figure something else out? So, you know, they need to show us well, some different strategies, I, I think, you know, coming, coming from that. And uh, another thing that I, I think a lot of people kind of have been talking about and, and maybe it's too early to talk about, but uh, is, you know, is Levi going to play? Like, do they sub him up? He's been getting, you know, you guys were talking about solo queue earlier and I, all I was thinking about is Levi and how many people I've seen asking, who's who's my crabs? Like, who's this guy who has, he's ranked two with a 70% almost win rate, 69% win rate now. He's 1140 LP. Import slots really make the difference there. They do for sure. But it's it's just one of those situations where it's another cha- like another guy who has had, you know, he has had international success. He's having tremendous solo queue success. You would have to obviously move around the roster and do these sorts of things. But there is a lot of talk about that. You know, even when 100 Thieves was doing well, as oh, what will happen with Levi? And so if they're starting to do poorly, I saw so much talk about on, on social media and on Reddit and all these things about you know when is Levi going to get his shot? Like his his solo queue stats are, are pretty insane. Dude, for, in mid lane for 100 Thieves though. I mean, they ran the a block. standard. They ran a standard marksman bottom. Like, like they did Lucian Rakan mm-hmm. um, for the second game versus. CLG 
Um, and that was the one, yeah, CLG had a really good game where they mm -hmm. were able to rotate. But it's uh, also not really the same style as how they were playing before. It was so much like like late game scaling, 80 carries, play for protect the Cody on like Tristana and so on and so forth. Like all these crit marksmen that was about getting to later stage. Lucian obviously like is is a marksman, but it's a different style. And then, you know, the Vladimir game was kind of a tragedy because of the laning phase and, and that kind yeah. of spiraled off of that. But it's just to me, like it's, it's not that they can't, they, they haven't run any of it. It's just, I want to see how them succeed on multiple strategies and succeed through top lane, succeed through jungle and do these different things. Because if you are only able to succeed on, on like scaling 80 carries, uh, or, or that is by far your best strategy, then teams can target that. I think even more easily in this meta where they're weaker. Jack's reasoning. I remember for putting 100 thieves high, or was it like predicting? It was the leadership of, of Apremu yeah. when everything is crazy that they'll be able to find order in the chaos. That was not the case in the first two games, Kobe, <laughs> but it could be later. Could We've got be. Got a lot of games left. <laughs> uh, who, who else are we hitting? Oh, we're gonna go Twitter. Yeah, you're in charge of Twitter today. All right. We decided. He, Kobe was like, you know what? I want Twitter questions. He sent out a tweet. Asking for Twitter questions. That you means you did a great job. That means the Kobe's. At no point did I say, you know what? I want Twitter. He was begging for it. Yeah, I specifically he remember. Twitter. He said, "Please, guys." First, let question, me give you Twitter questions. First question was actually from Avali, and she asked, "When's the next bet?" Because favoritism. We we did uh, a couple bets early on, uh, and then Euphoria. Those guys decided to steal our idea yeah. and do it every single show. No one has ever done bets before, <laughs> by the way. We were the first Completely people to ever do bets. We invented original. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We should monetize it. When, yeah, uh, like, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> When's the next one, though? You feel it? Let's see. I, I lost the the most recent one. I yeah, beat you that, were and beautiful then I lost Zale. Um, that's the chain. I mean, the next bet now is the when power's we have in good, your hand. Next bet is when we have something good to bet on. Yeah, it needs to be something that is interesting that we disagree on. Exactly, and that's close enough that it's actually worth betting on. So. Yeah. I'm I'm down if people send us ideas because sometimes maybe we could get a riff rivals bet going with some of those euphoria clowns. We can <laughs> we can uh, we yeah. could maybe bet on the results of uh, riff rivals. Actually, that's so, going to be the next. So bet. that's my challenge to those euphoria fools. You guys can tweet at them and let them know. Yeah, because NA is going to win riff rivals. It's going to be free, so yeah. we can maybe we could maybe do a group bet. <laughs> By our powers combined, I think so. We could do a group, a group terrible cosplay, or they could have to do a group terrible cosplay. I'm down, or something else. All right. I mean, it's are, it's, it's really no risk. Are we down here? Yeah. There's we, no risk to this bet. This I'm, is, I'm down. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's the official bet. That you guys have been challenging Euphoria. So uh, NA gonna smash you at Rift Rivals for free. If they don't, we have to dress up and something. We'll stupid. figure out the details. I mean, later. we could. Yeah, we. But could that'll be the next bet. Figure out what there to bet go. later as well. We got another one. This one's from Michael Buck. Um, at sketch two six two two, with the buff to Stormraiser and the buffs to the champ directly, Azale, is there any chance that we see Kindred in pro play? Yes, because I have run into some of the pro players in solo queue playing Kindred. Yes, I would say Douglas. yes for sure. Kindred, my favorite champ. Uh, I know people. I have the most master points on that champion, and and I think it's actually good again. Would you even build Stormraiser? On I the champion. Don't know That's about my that. follow up because I probably this is a two-part question. Probably not building Storm Razor. I yeah. think um for me, Bork is so good yeah. right now because it got uh two hundred gold cheaper. Exactly. Um I really like rushing the item. Yeah, I mean I, I still think that you're probably just gonna want to go jungle item Bork and then usually third item, like I still think Hurricane is incredibly good, or sometimes you need to go defensive like a Mar or a QSS or whatever. Maybe people could go with Storm Razor. Like I could still see it maybe, but I just think um in general. 
Like there's already really fantastic items that have been kind of improved. Like you said, Bork is, is a lot cheaper, but I do think there's there's definitely room for Kindred um, with with some of the buffs coming in and some of the systemic changes that have kind of you know been accounted for now because you got a lot worse or they got a lot worse with uh, the scuttle changes and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. So I actually think Kindred could be coming in and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I especially think that it, it can it can be pretty successful sometimes against um, some of these dive comps, like when you're seeing things like, we've actually been seeing a fair bit of Nocturne, and I think that Kindred can shut down Nocturne um, pretty heavily in team fighting. Yeah, I, I like what the theory of Kindred being popular could do for a lot of different strategies. Because there's so many unique things about the champion. Mm -hmm. The ultimate, like you're talking about, uh, provides a completely different dynamic to team fights. Mm -hmm. Then also, um, with her buffs, she's actually very strong in contesting the early crabs now, just grab a red buff and go try and con you know control both of them. Um, so there are a lot of different things you can do early on as well as late. And even if we we start to see more marksmen back in the bottom lane after Ben removed mm -hmm. and some of these uh, you know infinity edge buffs and stuff like that, if you have a marksman in the jungle, um, then you know that can be your source of you know mm -hmm. ranged attack damage, and we yeah. could still see. Um, the prevalence of you know some some different bottom lanes. I personally really like the bottom lanes that pack two stuns, um, like double wizard bottom lanes that have two uh -huh. different stuns to be able to um, just use base values of spells early on to get kills mm -hmm. on lanes like that. Um, I, I really want to see some more effectively used uh, lanes like that that are, are kill lanes, but they mm -hmm. aren't as risky as like the double you know melee or whatever that that have to go all in for the kills. Yeah. What do you think? Got an, I agree. Next question. You're a big Kindred player? I just think she fits, they fit there in a lot go. of team there. competitions. <laughs> Ooh. And there's lots of cool combos you can do, like Kindred plus Janna knocking people out of the alt. Kindred plus Galio, the Galio ult in as the ultimate is expiring. Gragas, there's lots of cool combos you can do. Kobe, don't let us down on these Twitter questions. Uh, Gotta have the next one. I'll ready. just read a random one then. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we used up all the ones uh, yeah. in the document. All right, this so is the far. last one. Um, do you think some of the lower teams will Who's be this able from? to find hold on, I'll read it afterwards because I just scrolled down. <laughs> we'll be able to find success through innovation in the current meta, or will the relative skill of the team still push them out of the top spots? That was Adam Friedman, uh at Adam L. Friedman. Sweet. Uh that's basically a question of Will the meta make some teams that have like so, skill win? To me, basically, what he's saying is because there are so many options in the meta right now, um, does that increase the you know possibility of success for some of the teams that are ranked lower in the standings? Where you consider if they if they go standard matchups of what they're used to playing, mm -hmm. uh, man for man or whatever, they would lose down the rosters. Now yeah. he's saying, oh, there's more opportunities to change up strategy. Do you think we're going to see that happen? Right, and and sometimes. Uh, it depends on the person, but sometimes this can be misinterpreted of, oh, it's not standard, therefore the team's skill doesn't matter, right? And that's how we get into those whole like cheese discussions because a lot of times you'll think, oh, double melee, double wizard, double tank, ooh, that's cheese. It, it's all a skill test. Everything when these patches change is still a skill of how good you are. And I do think that there are teams uh, that would win in standard have if if they're not good in the other skill tests are very vulnerable to the people who have been able to master 
either double wizard or double tank or bruiser down bottom lane. So uh, that would be my answer to that question is if you're not good at those other things, you're going to be punished. Yeah, and I mean, kind of part of my thought of, of why I thought FlyQuest could maybe rise up a bit was because, hey, Turtle is really good at this other style, right? So that is a team that is considered in a bottom tier or a very low tier that maybe can kind of, kind of rise up because of the flexibility of their players. So if you have that flexibility, hey, I think it could bump you up a couple notches. All right. Any thoughts, Kobe? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that it increases the probability just because there, you know, more options are seeing play and more people are not prepared to play these different styles. It totally increases the opportunity for teams that have traditionally been on the bottom of the standing. Yeah, I randomly ran into Kiwi Kid at the park the other day, and I had a discussion about because uh, he was a role swap player, right? Who liked yeah. playing a lot of weird stuff. And with how many champions we have in the game now. And how deep so many of, the, especially the new kits are, like how many games it takes to actually master it. I really do feel like it is probably impossible to be a jack of all trades. Back when there were 50 or 60 champions, like the very beginning of pro play, I think it was actually achievable with how many hours there are in the day to like keep up with the patches and play at a challenger level in like five different roles. What about Faker? We got to go to the extremes. I know. We're going to the extreme. In pro play, he has won with Melee Champions, you know, Olaf's, Corellia, Master Yi. But has he won with Tarek Mid? No. (laughs) (laughs) And that's only in the mid lane. I do think there are some people that are going to be better at it. I think there are people that can be proficient at it. But I just feel like that with so many champions in the game and how many games it takes to become master level at a champion, there is not enough hours in the day especially when you don't even know you're going to need to prepare this stuff until a week and a half before your match, mm-hmm. where suddenly you're going to have to be, what, proficient at 40 bot lane champions? I think that's actually impossible. So that was just a thought that I had. Do you, uh, this is just a follow-up from at uh, Riot Kobe, and he said, okay, <laughs> he asked, you're going to uh, to me right after this? Yeah, he said, genuine? <laughs> he's going to ask you, uh, do you enjoy watching, and do you think it's more fun to test this skill of, you can be super versatile, play all these different champions. You think you have more fun watching someone, you know, go off on Aurelia one game, go off on Talon another game, go off on, yes. uh, you know, Nocturne another game? Or would you rather see the peak performance of a single champion? I like the best Yasuo plays ever. ever. Best Yasuo I've ever seen in your life. I, I would rather or a bunch of different the stuff. diversity because at a slightly less level, a slightly less level because it's fun to see new stuff. Like so, in the in the one off game, it's more exciting to see the best possible Yasuo ever. And you can learn more. But yeah, um, but a in pro play, if if that person has absolutely mastered one champion versus a number, then you don't get to see the Yasuo again because that just gets banned every game. And B, um, you know, the fifteenth or twentieth Yasuo game at that level becomes less exciting uh, compared to, you know, like watching all these different things. Like I love the the variety and, and I think that, you know, ha- like matchups are so big in this game mm-hmm. that being the absolute perfect Yasuo is, is in many games worse than being the like 90% uh, Riven or the 90% Aurelia or whatever. And, and that's why I think uh, I'd prefer that. Yeah, I think it's all about thresholds. Um, I would rather have the 100% Yasuo versus the 65% brand. <laughs> right, but I think in a perfect world, I don't know where my threshold is going to be. I'll take the ninety percent on fifty different champions mm-hmm. than one hundred percent on one. 
It's all about overall peak performance. And what is peak performance yeah. in League of Legends? It's killing the Nexus. Yeah. However you do that, I want to see The it argument it. starts to get a little weird. It's a little circular, when right? you When you lump it into, oh, they're just going to ban out or whatever. But yeah, I, I like the idea. Good good question, Rykobi. You should send in more Twitter questions. Thank you. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of The Dive. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to check us out next Wednesday when we return on YouTube and all of our podcast platforms. I think SoundCloud is one of our biggest ones, but iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket. Still waiting on that Spotify. Yeah, we need to have <laughs> Have like the bodyguards haven't let us in. Yet. I keep getting like texts on my phone to be like, support net neutrality, call your blah blah blah. Support Spotify, call them and tell them you want the dive. Or support the dive on to, Spotify. Yeah, 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 that's that's what yeah. I'm gonna do. Anyway, we'll start uh, protesting. Sure. <laughs> Hashtag the dive law if you want to send us tweets as well. That's how Kobe found them. We'll see you next Saturday at 1:30 p.m. Pacific time for NALCS countdown, followed by Counter Logic Gaming versus Team Liquid. See you then.